you've just tapped into the best part of your day. There's nothing more satisfying than an intriguing economics discussion with After Office Hours, the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster. This is your chance to grab your pumpkin spice slide ruler and talk shop with economists. Today is October 14th, 2022, so be sure to check your calendar as the economic landscape may have shifted in this internet time machine. Just to be topical, we could mention something about the Mariners, but we're not going to jinx it today. Just in case you're just tuning in, in prior episodes, we've had a pandemic, global changes throughout the labor market, supply chain, massive turmoil within the commodities market, and the list goes on. We've had the introduction of a war, and we'll just let it go there because at this point, the list becomes pretty overwhelming. Let's just say it's been an action-packed couple of years, and our script writing rivals that of any TV drama show. We are now a month out from the publication of our September forecast, and there are a lot of things to talk through from getting to that publication to today. Before diving into current economic thoughts, let's check in and see who's here today. My name is James McCafferty. I serve as the general manager and publisher for the newsletter, but it's a team that makes the newsletter happen from outside partners and our center's own research staff. Dr. Hart Hodges is an economics professor at Western Washington University. Hart writes the regional forecast article and will occasionally contribute other articles based on the topics. Hart and I both co-direct the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western. Bethany King is our research economist and works the switches and dials and buttons of many of our models while providing a wide array of insights into the forecast. Bethany writes many of the articles each quarter, as well as the monthly updates for our digital subscribers. Cam McKenzie rounds out the talent portion of our show today. Cam's our research designer, contributes to the forecaster with a variety of articles and the retail section. We have a long-standing joke in our office that ends with, but what do you want the data to say? Unfortunately, the fact that it's meant as a joke is lost on far too many people. Hart, let's start our fun today with this. Why do some economists look at the available data and conclude that inflation is still rising, while other economists look at the same data and conclude the opposite? The short answer is because they're right. I mean, you can look at different data streams, reach different conclusions. Right now, you can look at the same data streams and make slightly different assumptions and still get the different conclusions. So it's uh, it's challenging on a lot of levels. I think if focusing on inflation, uh, the inflation numbers that came out uh, yesterday, a uh, you know, little bit higher inflation and, and even a little bit higher core inflation than most economists uh, expected. So take, core inflation is taking out the impact of energy and food, because the prices of those things uh, move all over the place, and it can be a, a little bit hard to figure out what's going on because of those movements. But housing has been uh, one of the main drivers of core inflation lately. Uh, housing numbers had come in came in a little bit higher than expected, so that gives a nod to the economists who who say that inflation is still rising, and probably will. Um, because if you look at the way the math is done, either on owner equivalent rents, looking at home prices and what's the rent equivalent, we've had home price increases for a number of years, and, and you know those those increases over the past you know several many years factor into that owner equivalent rent, and you had rents drop with the pandemic. Uh, from that trough, you've had pretty remarkable increases. Those rental increases are also playing into the calculation. So I can look at the data and conclude that inflation is not only still rising, but will for several months, because until we get past this sort of trough to peak calculations, 
uh, inflation is is going to appear in the data. But you get another economist that can say, sure, it's appearing in the data. But as soon as we get past that trough to peak sort of problem, um, or when the effect of recent increases in interest rates come into play, uh, poof, no more no more inflation. Uh, to me, it's hard, right? The reason I, I was only half joking when I said they're both right. When somebody does uh, their own home budget, uh, you figure out what you spend on groceries or gasoline or utilities and whatnot. And, and there's always this bit of spending at the end of the month that, that you say, oh, that was one off. But if, if the one-offs are pretty regular, you ought to build that into your budget, right? And the Fed looked at inflation numbers six, eight, nine, 12 months ago and said, oh, those are one-offs. That was a supply constraint problem. Oh, that's a one-off. It was due to this war. Oh, that's a one-off. It's due to these housing calculations. So you've got some, some economists saying, stop it. These one-offs are there. Yeah, it's part of the data. And you've got other economists saying that's a one-off, and I don't know how to how to figure out who's right here. Uh, commodity prices coming down, shipping costs coming down. Uh, I think when the math smooths out, when we get far enough removed from the pandemic troughs, I think inflation really subsides. Uh, so maybe I'm in the it's a one-off category, but as soon as I say that, we'll get another little bump in COVID, we'll get some new variant and then we'll have another one off. So, well, yeah. you know, the, the one hit wonders, you know, they, they can turn into a one hit wonder or turn into a, you know, a it's, franchise, right? I yeah. mean, it's the same, same kind of, kind of thoughts around in the question of trends versus anecdotes, right. Versus, uh, versus my experience versus your experience. It, it, it all. Oh, I think, I think we're going to have to talk about your experience versus my experience. Cause I'm assuming you're going to ask about recession and I'm going to say, who's recession, your recession, my recession, but we're still stuck on uh, what do you want the data to say? Exactly. All right. So Cam, if I asked you to offer an example of this within your work, what comes to your mind? Yeah, I mean, this is a problem that Bethy and I see every once in a while. We'll, we'll apply a different model to the same problem, and then we'll come up with different results. Um, but I think a lot of that's because of economics is being based on expectation along with just numbers. And a lot of economists will fall into their own ideological biases there when analyzing the data. No. There was <laughs> this interesting study in June of 2021 from the Journal of Organizational Behavior and Human Decision Processes that studied how scientists arrive at their conclusions. And so even when provided with the same data, they would come up with either wildly different or sometimes even completely opposed conclusions. So I think what's most important is the analytical steps taken and then the methods used in data analysis, um, the natural variations in people's thought process, experiences, and analytical assumptions will produce different conclusions unless everyone's following the same set of rules. I think that's rules for interpretation, right? Um, as a Weird tangent. Sorry, James. Um, I was reading Malcolm Gladwell's book, Talking to Strangers. And, you know, you look at the Bernie Madoff story or uh, any of the, you know, George Floyd, any of the cases where people are presented with a bit of data. And if it doesn't fit with their narrative, they dismiss that data. So it's not just what evidence, what data do you give somebody? The, the, the rules, Cam, that you're talking about, it has to be 
the analytical framework that we're going to follow? How are we going to use that information? Because I'm, I'm going to dismiss it and, and either until I'm totally proven wrong uh, or uh, until you go away. <laughs> All right. Well, Hart, you brought up the R word, recession. So there's no way we're going to let that go because it's the are we, could we part of the show, right? So Bethany, let's put you in the hot seat. Let's talk of recession. To help with that, can we start with a global perspective? Right. So if you think that inflation in the U.S. is bad, you should look at Europe. Um, they have got some severe, severe inflation happening right now, mostly in food and energy prices. And so that all started with COVID. And then, of course, they were hit with other significant supply chain disruptions, mostly because Russia invading Ukraine. So that hits um, the uh, commodities markets that happen mostly in Eastern Europe. Um, also, that uh, Russia is Europe's gas station. Um, so they're having a lot of, of inflationary pressure due to that conflict. Um, not only that, but we've got natural disasters throughout the Middle East and Asia um, that are contributing to huge food shortages and energy shortages. And so that's plaguing Europe, but it's also plaguing the entire world. So we've got um, just very severe shortages, which are contributing to, to to very rapid, very high inflation. And that's going to have um, a real impact on the global economy. And I haven't even started talking about the housing market in China. So we've got um, a lot of issues going on in the global economy, and it's not looking too hot right now. All right. So that sounds really ominous. So let's talk nationally. What's the U.S. look like? So in the U.S., um, it's it's really complicated right now because it all depends on what you consider a recession. So um, officially, we are not in a recession. Um, and so far, nothing looks like a recession except for GDP. But uh, what every economist will ever tell you is that uh, GDP doesn't matter anyway, right? It's just a measure of how much stuff we produced. And um, that so who cares how much stuff we produced? If it's not impacting the unemployment rate, if it's not impacting incomes, doesn't really matter. So what we are seeing now is incomes are not beating inflation, and we are seeing the unemployment rate ticking up a little bit. And when I say ticking up a little bit, I mean going from 3.5% to 3.7%. So a little tiny increase. Oh, no, like the sky is falling. Right. So we are seeing some changes and some signs that the economy is slowing. Um that's on purpose, right? That's to combat inflation. Um, so we are expecting the economy to slow down. Whether or not we get a recession um, is still a matter of debate. Some experts will say yes. Some experts will say no. Some experts will say it depends. Um, I guess we'll be in the, there is a very strong likelihood of a recession. Um, probably not guaranteed though. You know, that 3.5 to 3.7 discussions always fascinates me because you have to have some level of unemployment, right? Sometimes referred to as the natural rate of unemployment, if you want to get all technical sounding. There has to be some to make the labor market work and it it defeats inflation and it and it, it helps make the, the systems kind of work. We're pretty far below that point at this point. I mean, unemployment could go up substantially before we get into where we have to worry about that, right? Except I think the, un the unemployment rate has a giant asterisk beside it right now. Yeah. Um, and I think what um, what we talked about recently at a presentation me and Hart did was, was what is that unemployment rate that means it's a recession? And I think it was about four, four and a half percent, somewhere in there, um, which should 
which the experts are saying would signal um, a recession. Um, and we're far from that. Um, and what the natural rate of unemployment looks like right now is really complicated and up for debate because you had these massive changes to demographics, a lot of people um, retiring, entering retirement age. And so that's really skewing the labor market. Well, James, you had a, a, a graphic lately that I think it showed 2 million people still out of the labor market because of COVID, whether whether with COVID, long COVID, taking care of somebody, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so I, the, the giant asterisk I was screaming about is uh, when do these people come back into the labor force? Because the numbers will all change, uh, regardless of what's actually happening to hiring or whatnot. Um, and you know, we're we're sitting at historically low levels of unemployment, uh, and it, it's just going to feel strange. Uh, we used to talk about four point something as being the natural rate of unemployment. Um, so I, I think we we have to remember. Just like with the inflation numbers and the trough to peak affecting the math, the COVID, the retirements that Bethany mentioned, all of it affects the, the math behind the uh, unemployment rates. And just a grain of salt here. I think it takes more than a grain. I, I hear down at the co-op, you can get them by the block. So I, I think the salt blocks are the way to go right now. All right, so we we really have been able to to lighten the room here, uh, all of us, and I, I I know our listeners appreciate that levity and and just the great news and sunshine. So, Bethany, the important thing here with us is local, right? So or at least the region. So, given the global and national landscape, how do you see this playing out in the Puget Sound region? The Puget Sound has historically been very resilient; did not have nearly the impacts from COVID that other parts of the U.S. have had. That being said, um, we are hearing news about um, a hiring freeze at Amazon. Boeing is still struggling. But we also have inflation much higher in Seattle than in other cities in the U.S. And that's going to have a real impact, especially at the cost of living in Seattle is astronomical. And it is rising faster than other parts of the U.S. If, if we have even small increases in the unemployment rate, we're going to have a lot, a lot of trouble here. Um, we've got very, uh, very very severe income inequality in our region. And so any potential recession is going to hit different households differently. So we've got definitely a lot of, of problems for those lower income groups that are really going to struggle with the rising costs um, that, that are happening right now in the Puget Sound. Um, there's plenty of tech workers and work remoters and people like that in the Puget Sound that are going to come out just fine. Um, but as what always happens in the recession, it's going to make um, income inequality deeper and more severe, um, especially in our region. All right. That takes me to thinking about retail, uh, thinking about people and their jobs and, and money in their pocket or virtual pockets, I guess, uh, for most people now. Cam, I have to wonder what consumers and retailers are making of all this, and they kind of don't always agree with each other anyway. So in this past week, we've gone full Black Friday mode, which I have been reading this morning has not gone very well for a lot of the retailers. Um, but uh, what, what, are you, what are you seeing here? Where, where should I be concerned on my, my consumers and retailers? I don't think there's a ton of concern to be had, but a lot of offloaded old inventory has been sold by um, those big corporations. And while shoppers had slightly more in their wallet due to falling gas prices, um, food and housing costs continue to rise. 
which will likely encourage further rate hikes by the Fed. Um, and for lower income Americans, those rising prices do pose a pretty significant concern. But for higher income Americans, they're generally able to offset those increasing prices by purchasing more goods at a time. Um, and so despite the inflationary rise that we've seen in recent data, we also saw a rise in uh, retail sales. This is a reversal from July's declining data, and it shows that American consumers are increasing their spending despite, despite this uncertainty. Um, and so part of this growth can be attributed to back to school spending uh, and the steady demand for tourism and entertainment. But bar and restaurant spending increased, as well as one particularly interesting detail, which was a 3% rise in auto dealership sales, specifically luxury cars. Um, so I think there's definitely things to be worried about, especially if your wallet hurts a little bit more. Um, but in general, we're kind of keeping our same pace. I saw a picture of a car, or a wet car, uh, a house, um, Hurricane Ian, they lost their convertible Bentley and their Lexus. So I guess they had to go out and buy new cars and, and that might've been part of the 3% increase. Are you, are you suggesting there's a, there's an upside to climate change? No, no, no it's, a, oh, that's a different podcast. Sorry. That's yeah, a different podcast. All right. Let's let the audience, uh, we'll, we'll let you draw your own conclusions. I it was there, but we're, we're going to see a bump in spending though, because of, uh, weather related events around the country. Um, I think that's, a, that's a good point to, to, to take a thought of. So you've all brought up inflation as we've talked here and i there's no way we put together any conversation at this point and not somehow talk about inflation multiple times um it's it's the conversation point that just keeps giving so bethany what does inflation in general look like in the data you're looking at is it isolated or trending in any interesting patterns that i should be thinking about and and this one's going to be critical to the audience i think should i be freaking out when we're looking at inflation, it depends on a lot of things. It depends on what measure we're looking at. Are we looking at the consumer price index, which is the CPI, um, the PCE? It depends on if we're looking quarterly, monthly, yearly. Um, it depends on all those things. And nothing is really very consistent. So one measure that, um, that I use for the monthly updates is the CPI, U.S. City Average. And with that one, if we look month to month, we see mild deflation in July little bit of inflation in August, and then kind of a normal amount of inflation in September. That looks fundamentally different than other measures of inflation. But if we just looked at that one, we would say that inflation looks like it's coming down. Now that little bit of an uptick in September, that's happening because of gas prices. And like Hart mentioned, also housing prices. So we have to, we have to sort of tease apart now things that are very volatile, like energy prices, which those are going to continue to increase. Gas prices increasing is going to make inflation look a lot worse. Um, and that's when we're going to start looking at those measures that exclude energy. And I do want to make sure that we exclude energy because the gas price, contrary to what you're crazy uncle posts on Facebook, has very little to do with anything else in the economy. What the gas price is doing basically is not a good measure of what inflation is doing otherwise. So we want to keep looking at those measures that exclude energy because energy is going to be really volatile and it's going to be volatile for a while for as long as there's tensions in the global economy. Really, the trend is that there's some signs that inflation is coming down. We can't say for sure that it's fully coming down or that it's coming back to normal levels with just two months of data, one measure that show inflation coming down. We have to look at all measures of inflation 
from in various different time periods and and things like that as well. You know, that, that month to month versus year over year is part of the how do different economists reach different conclusions. And I mentioned the trough to peak year over year. We're still pulling in changes from pandemic lows to current uh, elevations. The month to month gives a very different picture. Uh, and depending on what you want to focus on, you'll conclude very different things about in inflation. But the gas uh, is, is an example. One of the reasons we don't want to give too much weight to energy prices in the measures, right? So I think everybody around here noticed gas prices going up for parts of late September, early October. And that wasn't due to anything other than refining capacity on the West Coast uh, and refinery shutting down for maintenance. It, it wasn't due to higher crude oil prices or something else. And so, you know, as, as Bethany said, sometimes you want to ignore the energy swings, price swings, and, and focus on what, what's really at the core. Two, two charts I saw this morning, and we're sharing them out by social media, I think, over this weekend. So as you're listening to this, if you flip back in the internet time machine on our social media feeds, you can find these charts. But one is the uh, U.S. core consumer prices with a, a year over year kind of a change. And what I noticed there in that data set was that good price goods prices are falling uh, significantly, but services are increasing, which causes uh, some consternation with some economists because that, that feels more sticky, I guess, in the terminology we used to use about inflation. That if if services are going up, that we might have we might be facing a higher recessionary or a higher um, long term inflationary problem. The other piece that I thought was really interesting was the ripping apart the components of CPI and thinking about uh, what what's contributing, right? Because it used to be autos. Autos was the big contributor for a month after month after month. And I've noticed now it's it's almost all energy type related things that are are higher priced. Um, do we think? I mean, is the energy piece a temporary Ukraine kind of situation? Do you think, Hart, or do you think that that's going to kind of stay high? No, I mean I, everything in in Ukraine is going to, and it's going to filter through because energy markets are interlocked, right? You you should. You should think about a lot of energy as as being a global issue. I mean, some some of it's not, but uh, no, energy prices aren't going to stabilize until we get past and hopefully relatively soon everything in Ukraine. Uh, you know, but how how we move around uh, even liquefied natural gas? What's happening with fracking? Uh, there's just so much going on that's pushing. Uh, Especially crude oil prices uh, up, up and down, and, and pretty important swings. I mean, you've you've got global demand slowing because of recessionary pressures. You've also got prices going up as we get closer to winter in Europe, trying to figure out how to navigate this. So, I mean, energy is just going to be really volatile uh, for months ahead. Well, it's and commodities. I mean, you mentioned earlier, I think it was you, Hart. It might have been someone else that mentioned, but commodities market has been just the crazy part of all of the show and the fluctuations you're seeing there. All right. So let's let's switch gears to housing and construction. Bethany, you brought up housing earlier as well. So I think we need to talk about space, right? I mean, at least housing and commercial space. We'll we'll leave the uh the out the outer space stuff to to, to real professionals. 
Hart, can you talk to me for a minute about what's going on with commercial real estate? Because I have seen all kinds of news in the last week that makes me really wonder about commercial space. Leases not being renewed with a lot of square footage in play. Makes me wonder if we're going to start having some empty buildings and, and what that may mean. You asked if I wanted to talk about this? No. I, I mean, I. that's hard. I mean, you just saw news articles about Microsoft wanting to reduce uh, the square footage or not renew leases for over a million square feet of property in the Bellevue area. Um, they're not going to be alone. As leases come up, there's a you know, there's a, a reworking, an adjustment period as we figure out what's going to happen with, with hybrid work. Uh, I mean, James, did you know we, we follow the, the, the key card swipe information from Castle, looking at what our occupancy rates, uh, not in Seattle, they, but just in other major cities across the U.S., and we're still just below 50%, right? And if, if, you're, if your business is 50% in office uh, compared to what it used to be, and you get a lease to come up, uh, the problem is I don't know whether Microsoft says no thank you to the leases and that means those places sit empty or does that create opportunity for other businesses? So I, I just offhandedly said, no, I don't want to talk about this because it, it's so hard. We're just guessing right now at exactly what's going to happen uh, over the next several years as we really go through the, a, an interesting transition period. Uh, I, I think it's a really interesting transition. It's going to be a big deal because the 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 Puget Sound area, Bethany said we were fairly resilient coming through COVID. That's because we had so many people that could work remotely effectively. But that means the transition to what's the new normal and commercial going to look like is, is going to take some time and could be could be significant. I mean, you look at how many square feet Amazon, Microsoft, and some of these other companies have, and, and some of it's going to be empty. Some of it's going to have to be reworked for other, other occupants. It's going to take some time. So Bethany, flipping the uh, the script here on space, residential housing is also a pretty hot commodity, at least at least as a topic anyway. So headlines seem to be screaming about price drops and other issues. Is this a correction of some sort or is another case of weird information application? Residential housing is in incredibly, incredibly funky right now. So we've got, like you mentioned, people are freaking out that prices are dropping. So this is sort of happening in some markets, right? So we are seeing average prices come down in certain markets that were overvalued, like Boise. So those, I would say, is is a correction. We should expect to see prices drop as a correction. We definitely saw um, some properties being overvalued. In places like Seattle, only the average sale price is coming down. And that's just because expensive homes, we're selling fewer expensive homes. So if we actually look at measures that control for housing characteristics, prices are not dropping at all. Prices are going up still. So it whether or not that comes down, well, we'll see We'll see if that happens. I would expect in real terms, prices to come down for housing, even in Seattle. And that's just um, a result of mortgage rates being higher. So there's less demand for housing. But what's happening is people are freaking out about the housing market and people are are so freaked out that they're not they're not putting their homes on the market. And so we're actually seeing the supply of homes coming down and that's keeping price pressure upwards. So things really don't make any sense right now. I think we need a couple more months for the data to, to settle out a little bit so that we can tease apart what's happening. But really, we're not yet seeing prices really coming down like we would expect to with mortgage rates as high as they are. 
but I do want to assure people this isn't 2008 all over again. We expect prices to come down a little bit corrective. Um, we don't expect them to plummet. We don't expect them to crash. Nothing crazy. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll add that there's a number of real estate economists that are calling for corrections in the few percent, let's just say five to 10% in, in a lot of markets. Um, and I think the data is going to be really volatile. Like Bethany said, I know that people are freaking out, but if I've got a two and a half percent mortgage, uh, I'm not going to be in a hurry to move when my new mortgage is going to be six and a half, right? So there's a bit of uh, sort of a mortgage lock and a lot of people wondering, well, let's just ride this out. So supply does come down. I think we'll see periods when those that are selling are having to sell at a discount to, to move and to get buyers at these higher rates. So some months the data will look like housing prices are correcting a lot and other months not much at all. Bigger corrections into the more than the 10 to 20% range in, in the markets like Boise that were the, the darlings of the Zoom land transition. There was an article in today's uh, Seattle Times that uh, the teaser was as Seattle's housing costs rose, so did households that can swing them. And the whole article is about if you look over the last decade, household incomes rose, made housing more affordable for at least some people. Um, and again, we're back to my experience versus your experience um, in thinking through what's what's going on in the economy. And maybe maybe we need to wrap up the uh, the word the economy and and talk more about different types of economies i don't i don't know that that might be a, a different field of I mean, study yeah you've said that and we when during the recession of you know 20 2020 2021 with the pandemic we talked a lot about what the recession meant for people by gender by income by, by location right it was very very different depending on who you who you talk to where you live and so on uh, then you know, it, you're hearing calls now for maybe a mild, short recession. And, and if that's the average, you got to remember that mild and short for some is worse than mild and longer right? for some, some people. And you need to keep, keep that in mind. Just a, a seed, James, you asked about commercial real estate. You're asking about this, you know, what's going on locally. Working hybrid. Does that mean if I, if you're my boss and I say, hey, I can do my job from anywhere, aren't you going to come back and say, does that mean anybody can do your job? Where are these businesses located has always been one question, but who's at risk in the next recession? It might be some of these hybrid, I can work anywhere. If I'm not uniquely valuable to a company or I can be replaced by somebody else working from anywhere, there's some interesting questions about what the impacts might be. Fabulous. I, I'm going to look forward to your book on this topic, Hart. It'll uh -huh. be available on Penguin Press. I don't even know if that's a company. We'll, we'll go with it. Bethany, we create a monthly update, which are available to our online subscribers. In fact, those should be going up here shortly, right? And so what should I be looking forward to read? Yep, those monthly updates are going up today. Well, going along with the tone of the entire podcast, they are not looking too good. Things are not looking very good, especially in that in that leading index, which is um, the index that predicts that predicts the future. Um, so we've definitely got some some trouble brewing there. Things are things are not looking too hot, and I explain in those updates why our index that is not looking too hot is probably even overly optimistic. Um, so keep an eye out for that, and don't forget we also have the real estate index, which uh, comes out on the twenty fifth of October. So look for that because the housing You're market is crazy. Wrecked. 
you've just been a ray of sunshine today. Oh yeah, you know me. <laughs> wow, that's uh, I, I'm um, I'm not sure what time of the day I'm going to choose to read that, but I, I will I will pick a good one. Well, that brings us to a close of this edition of After Office Hours with the Peter Sound Economic Forecaster. We do always encourage you to follow us on social media to have a front row seat of reading over our shoulders on a daily basis and learn about other ways to connect with us. You can always reach us via our website at cebr.ww.edu or by email cebr at ww.edu with questions, comments, or if you want to go on a limb and invite us to speak at one of your next uh, gatherings and events, we uh, we take our show on the road and via Zoom, and we're happy to do that. Please let us know, and we'll be happy to find a way for us to amuse your colleagues as well. After Office Hours, the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster is a production of the Center for Economic and Business Research at Western Washington University. We give great gratitude and love to our producer, Jill Poon, with KDMC for all of her magical work making us sound much better in your ears than it did as we recorded this. To learn more about the topics discussed today, please visit us at economicforecaster.com and subscribe to our quarterly newsletter. Subscribe to After Office Hours of the Puget Sound Economic Forecaster on Google Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn, Transistor, or wherever you choose to listen to podcasts. From all of us at Western Washington University, have a great day. Mm-hmm.